friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Mark 10, verse 46 through 52, if you want to grab your pew Bible, or if you want to get on um, your app, your Bible app of choice, feel free to do that. Um, I had a whole introduction scheduled that was going to be really amazing and really powerful, and I just felt like the Lord told me to scrap it. So, we're going to just launch straight in. I'll, I'll email it to you if you're really interested. If you're like, it's that good, email it to me. Um, I will. It'll blow you away, I promise. Um, Mark 10, verse 46 through 52. says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, talking about Jesus, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart or take courage. Get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Let's pray real quick together. God, I pray that your word today would come alive in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would discover today the truth of what happens when people call out to you and come face to face with you, Jesus. And I pray today that many people in this room would have this kind of encounter with you in your name. Amen. Amen. So we've been in, in a, a, a series post-Easter just about encountering Jesus, people who have these encounters face-to-face with Jesus and what happens to people when they meet him. And this is based on kind of a longer series that we've been doing that we believe discipleship become, uh, begins with beholding, that all everything we do as a believer starts with our encounter, our face-to-face meeting with Jesus. And with that being the most transformative thing that can happen to a human being. Because all of our question is, how do, how do people change, right? That's the kind of core question of life. And our um, belief would be that people change when they meet Jesus. When they come to encounter him face to face. And so we did that for a few months. And then um, we went into Easter and we came out. And, and kind of the, the consensus was out of Easter. We're like, well, let's give a, people an encounter of Jesus after he resurrects. And then we did that. And it was super powerful. And they were like, well, let's just stay. And let's just go back to the Gospels. And let's just talk about what happens to people when they meet Jesus. And this morning, this text, I think, is really important because I think so many of us walk through life with that question, which is, how do I change? 
Where does breakthrough come from? When I'm hitting the wall, when I need something, when I'm asking for something from God, what does it look like to experience breakthrough? For things to actually change. And I think we find in this story some real clear secrets. I mean, they're not really secrets because they're in the Bible, the best-selling book of all time, right? But they're, they're, they're easy sometimes to miss. And I think especially for a culture like ours in America where we say the way things change is by applying your resources, your power, your mind, your experience, your connections to whatever the problem is. And you exhaust all of those. That's how things change in your life. You pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. You work harder, you do better, you get smarter, you make friends, you make money, you do all these things and you bring all those things to bear on the problem. And, and let's just be honest, sometimes that works for people. But it doesn't work to get the kind of change that Jesus offers. And that's the issue, is all of that can change a lot of your circumstances, but it can't change the inside of you. It can't get to the heart. And even past that, there's other change like blindness, right? What kind of power or intellect or relational networking do you apply to the problem of blindness? You, you can't. It doesn't work. You actually need supernatural intervention, and so we come today with this story, which is this fascinating movement from beginning to end, from what I would call from desperation to devotion. And I love this story because in like six verses, you see someone go from abject desperation and poverty into full-blown devotion to Jesus, attachment to the person of Jesus. And so I want to read this text just a, a little bit with you and just find these keys that we see uh, of what's happening in the text, right? So if you've got your Bible open, let's just stay there with that, that open. And I need to find uh, the text on my actual page, which is, uh, there we go, no, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. There we go, that's it, that's it. So I love this, right? So what happens in blind Bartimaeus, what do you do if you're blind in first century uh, Judea? You get dressed every day, right? You find all your stuff. You try to get maybe some food in your house. You try to get out the door. You're, you're likely on a second or third story of this housing complex, and you're making it down the stairs. You're making it through the road in town, and you want to end up on the road outside of town, especially in Jericho, because that's where the religious travelers would pass through Jericho to Jerusalem, Right? So you go down from Jerusalem to Jericho and you go up from Jericho to Jerusalem. And on that road, you have religious people who are probably your best case scenario if you're begging, if you need something. So you're on the road and you can imagine this day after day after day after day of not asking for change, but just asking for help. Just needing a little bit of help every day to eat that day. Give us this day our daily bread. Bartimaeus is just on the road every day looking for just bread. And then all of the sudden, everything changes. They, he hears this whisper, Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. And I love his instant response is to begin crying out. And I had this thought, I wonder if he starts crying out when Jesus gets near or just when he hears that Jesus is passing through. And that might be why they asked him to be quiet, because he had been crying out for a long time. Because he doesn't know where Jesus is. Is he close? Is he near? Is he a mile away? Is he 10 steps away? And so he just starts saying, I'm not going to miss the moment. I'm just going to start crying out to Jesus. And I love his cry to Jesus is for mercy. He's desperate. 
He's as desperate as a human being can get. And, and here's the, the thing. When you're desperate, you don't make plans. You cry out, <laughs> right? You don't get in a room with a whiteboard and strategy and a leadership coach and say, how do we tackle this problem? You cry out to God, and here he is crying out. And here's the first key of the story. Desperation stops Jesus in his tracks. Jesus is passing through, and it actually says that his face is fixed on Jerusalem. The, the story in Luke where he's passing through says Jesus actually comments on what's happening in his own heart. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and great is my distress until it's fulfilled. He's passing through Jericho in great distress, knowing he's going to go and get tried and get beaten and get abused and get crucified for the sins of the world. And in the middle of that, a cry of desperation breaks through his own distress and it stops him still. If you want God's attention, be desperate. How do I connect to God? How do I get to God? How do I hear God? How do I get his attention? Desperation gets God's attention every time. And whether it's human desperation about our actual circumstances, about what's happening in our life, or whether it's spiritual desperation. And can I just say, in this moment in history where there is so much spiritual desperation, it makes sense that Satan is offering so many other ways to try to fix yourself than desperately crying out to Jesus. There's all sorts of other ways to try to get yourself helped other than just to sit down, stay still, and cry out to God. But desperation gets Jesus' attention. And then what happens, right? His desperation, they said, hey, dude, guess what? He's paying attention. He's here. He's called you. Take courage and get up. And what does he do? It says he springs to his feet. The moment where he has God's attention, what does he do? He moves instantly toward him. He does take heart. He takes courage and he moves towards God. And this is, this is the moment, friends, where I think it's interesting because we would probably call it action, but I would call it faith. Faith activates in Bartimaeus and it moves him toward Jesus. We think faith as, as the part where you sit and do nothing. Because if I have faith, I'm doing nothing. No, no, no. Faith is the moment where the chance for change is available and faith moves you in the direction of God. It actually moves you out of sitting still into this place where you're encountered with God. And I love this because in the book of Hebrews, right? Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, this list of people who live by faith. In every single instant, faith motivated action. So listen to this, right? Hebrews 11, these verbs, Abel offered sacrifice, Noah constructed an ark, Abraham obeyed God and moved, Sarah uh, believed in God and she conceived, Isaac invoked blessing, Jacob blessed the 12, Joseph prophesied through faith. All of these action, these verbs, Moses chooses to be mistreated and leaves Egypt. The walls of Jericho fall by faith. Rahab welcomes the spies. In faith, her faith motivated her to action, which is what then activates the action of God. So many of us are wondering, what is going to activate God's action on my behalf? And God's like, the faith I'm placing inside of you, and when you move, I move. But I'm waiting for that faith to grow in you to the point where you actually will take a step, not out of blind, right? Jesus calls and he moves, 
So, so we're waiting for God to call, and the moment we hear that voice, we're like, on it. <laughs> Where are you? I'm coming. Wherever you're at, Jesus, I'm going to you. But listen, what more shall I say, Hebrews 11? For time would tell, uh, fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong in weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I mean, all of this stuff came through action through movement and friends this isn't like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks it's really crazy to listen to the story like if you want breakthrough you've got to be willing to sit still and do nothing for a really long time and then be willing to move right away when God moves that's what it means to be a Christian is to do nothing except what you see the father's doing. And when you can't see what the father's doing, you stay still. And the moment you see what he's doing, you spring up into action. You're just like, if that's where he's at, that's where I'm going. Oh, I heard Jesus in Nazareth. All right, I'm chasing there. I'm going after him. I love the movement of faith. And then what happens after faith? He gets his encounter with Jesus. Jesus calls him, he springs up, he runs to him, and he ends up face to face with the Son of God. The Lamb who is about to be slain for his sins, and Jesus asks him a question. He speaks to him. And here's what happens. When you get an encounter with Jesus, he is going to speak and he is going to ask. It's just the nature of God. He's like, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that interesting? He gets a blank check from Jesus in this moment. What do you want me to do for you? And I love it. He's, like, he's not like, well, Lord, I just want you to bless my business. Right? Isn't it funny how we want God to do stuff for us, and then when God asks us what we want, we get really general? We're like, oh, God, whatever you want. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I want to see. <laughs> I love Bartimaeus. He's like, I want, that's the thing I want more than anything else. I want this so when you get this encounter with God, you got to be ready to get honest and specific because he actually, I heard it this morning, he actually wants to give you the desires of your heart. The problem is most of our life has been striving after the desires of our heart to grasp on our own. And then we get to church, and we're like, oh God, whatever you want. And it seems like a really righteous thing to say, whatever you want, God, I surrender. Rather than saying like, God, what I really want is this. I surrender that to you. And if ever you allow me to pick that thing up, I will take it and treasure it because it actually now it's come from you. But he has this encounter and then what happens, it says immediately he received his sight. So he goes from encounter to change happens right away. He goes from darkness to light. He goes from death to life. One of the texts, because this is mentioned in three of the gospels and, and, I, and I realize, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Matthew mentions two beggars. Mark's the only one who names them. One says that they're going into Jericho. The other one says they're coming out of Jericho. But all we know is in every single one, someone gets healed of blindness. And whether it's two or one or, or, or however it happened, but like he, he uh, in one of the texts it says, your faith has saved you. Isn't that amazing? Your faith has made you well. There's something about faith in human beings that, that is the activator for change, for transformation. Just immediately he, he regains his sight. And then what I love is what he does after he sees. So think about this. If you can just think for a second, if you were blind for your whole life, imagine all the things you would want to see if you regained your sight. 
Imagine growing up in school hearing about Mount Everest and the Louvre and, and the Rocky Mountains, right? And the Empire State Building and all this stuff, sunsets and oceans and trees and jungles and animals and all these things and all the ways. If you grew up as a, a, a little Jewish boy, you would say probably the thing I want to see more than anything is the temple. If I could just see the temple, oh, if I had eyes, I would go there and I'd gaze at that temple and I would never take it for granted. All these things. And what does he do when he sees? He says he immediately follows Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Of all the things he could see, he lays eyes on Jesus and he's like, I don't want anything else now. Devotion is the result of all of this process. Is he in a moment falls in love with the man he sees in front of him and says, now I want nothing else other than to be on your way with you. And it's crazy thinking this guy's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. Where are you going? I'm going to the cross. All right, let's go. Like, I'm just going to follow him to this place. And I love the language in this text, right? It says um, that he goes from on the road to on the way of Jesus. Right? He, he goes from just being in this place of, of sitting still on the road, crying out, to being a part of the mission of God in the world. Like he's on the team all of a sudden, and he has a testimony, and he has a story to tell. He goes from on the road to on the way. I love the other one. Jesus tells him this. He says, go your way. Your faith made you well. He, Jesus actually gives him the freedom to go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants to do after this healing. Jesus is like, I healed you. Go on your way. And I love it. He, he's like, no, no, no. I don't want my way anymore. I want your way. I want to follow you on your way. Isn't that amazing? And then the last one is, I, I think this is just so key. He goes from basically, I want to see to I want to be near. The first desire of his heart is just to see, and when he sees, his desire changes instantly and really he's like, all I want to do is be near you, Jesus. I just want to be close to the one who rescued me, who healed me, who delivered me. I want to be near to you. So what does this look like for us, right? Some of us this morning are just naturally, you might be naturally in a place of desperation, based on where your business is at, based on where your relationships are at, based on where your physical health is at, based on where your emotional well-being is at, you might just be, in my heart, even though I've got a brave face on because I'm at church right now, in my heart, I feel some of the cry of desperation. If Jesus walked in that room, I might shout at the top of my lungs, have mercy, I need you. Some of us in this room are spiritually desperate, right? We actually feel distance from God. We feel like we're in a desert. We feel like we're not hearing his voice. We feel like, oh, this thing isn't working for me. And I love, because God always pays attention to the desperate. But on the other hand, Satan will do everything in his power to lead you out of desperation, right? Right? And whether that's out of desperation into comfort or out of desperation just into numbness, right? We see it in Revelation, right? I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Listen to this. What's the, the, the nature of things that are lukewarm? He lists right here. For you, you say this, I'm rich, 
I've prospered and I need nothing. Like literally this could have been written to the American church. Like you're like, I pay my bills. I have transportation. I've been educated. My life is good. I have mostly enough of all the things I need to live. And I'm moving along life just through the middle. And many times he's like, you say all that on the outside, but in your heart, right, there's like wretchedness in that. Like, like we should pity ourselves when we're not desperate for God. So what do you do? I counsel you to buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve, interestingly enough, to anoint your eyes so that you can see clearly. Satan wants to do everything in his power to keep you from desperation. He wants you to live in the middle, in the mushy middle, right? Like, because I love C.S. Lewis in his screw tape letters, he said, hey, um, the point is not to keep people out of the church forever. So he's like, if we do that, they may wake up someday and realize what's happening in their life and they'll repent and come back fully to God. What we want to do is keep people in church, <laughs> but keep them critical, keep them unimpressed, right? Keep them thinking they're above the people in the pews around them. Keep them in comparison. It's like, that's the best place because we love lukewarmness. The demonic loves lukewarmness. And I, I'm just here to tell you, friends, I said it Wednesday night, like since three or four weeks ago when I preached that sermon and showed those slides, we've seen more spiritual attack in our church. Like it felt like a line in the sand for this generation and for the world. And it just felt like, we start hearing from all these people like, man, what is happening? <laughs> I went from like, everything's just cruising along to all of a sudden, like, I'm just getting just tossed by the enemy and it's because he does not want you to be desperate he doesn't want you to be on fire he doesn't want you to have zeal and I love this thing that's just kind of it's kind of a throwaway comment interestingly enough it says when Jesus calls him what does he do he throws away his cloak which is just a really interesting detail. And I, I just got stuck on that this week. I was like, what does that mean? Why does he throw his cloak away? Jesus doesn't tell him to throw his cloak away. Nobody else is like, hey, dude, get rid of that thing. He, he instantly sheds something. So there's got to be something about that cloak that represents the past. Like the past self, the past identity. There's, there's people who, some people believe that uh, beggars were given special cloaks to wear so that you would know uh, that they had like basically permission to, to be out there on the road and they all this stuff, you know, that he actually was blind. It's almost like I've been confirmed as an actual beggar. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think there's something about the moment when you need God and then meet God that you throw off the old and you receive the new. And so what happens to many of us is we get these moments where we get really desperate for Jesus and Jesus meets us and you know what we don't do? We don't throw off our cloak. And we cling to the things that are comfortable and necessary for our old life and then you know what we do is we just slowly move back into our old habits, our old ways, our old friends, our old thoughts about ourselves and about God and we lose our breakthrough. Bill Johnson said this, he says, uh, victory that's gained must be maintained. 
I love that. Victory that's gained must be maintained. You maintain your victory by letting go of the old and embracing the new and following Jesus into that next place. It was almost like he knew, I can't stay in Jericho and I can't keep this old way if I'm going to live in the revelation of Jesus that healed me. I've got to move with him. Hebrews, again, 12 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. Anything that is keeping us from the movement toward Jesus and toward his kingdom and into fuller, because guess what, guys? The healing of this guy's blindness was not the ultimate step. It was the first step. It was the first step. He, Jesus was not finished when he healed his eyes. There is going to be so much more breakthrough and deliverance in his life that's waiting on the other side of casting the cloak, following him. I mean, there is so much more. And I just want to tell you, so many Christians have come to an altar, they've given Jesus their life, and then they've walked back into the, to the stuff of before. And they're like, well, I got that healing. And they just let it go rather than be like, no, 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 I want it all. I want everything you have for me. I want inner healing, I want mind healing, I want emotions healed, I want my past dealt with, I want generational sin in our family to be cut off, I want everything you offer me, I want it. Anything that's in the Bible, Jesus, that is real and true and good and pure and honorable, I want all those things for me, and my family, and my friends, and my church, and this city, and this nation. That's what it means to be desperate. I'm going to invite the band back up. And I intentionally have shortened this so that we could have um, a good amount of time to respond. Because I I just think this. I think too many times um, I preach too long. Don't amen that. And it's not that they're not good sermons. They're great sermons, let me just tell you. Um, Uh, But it's that if we're not careful, we'll just go to church, hear sermons, and move on. And and we don't actually consider, and I I get it, I've got six kids. When church is over, guys, I'm in the whirlwind of life. Uh, And so we're we're just trying to get home without killing each other. Or do anything where I have to come back to church and confess and then go back home. Um, and, and so I want to I give some time for you to actually consider this and pray and for the Holy Spirit to speak um, about this issue. Um, about your life, your heart, the things that you need. Like where do you need breakthrough in your life? And just the question is, are you desperate? And so my, my next question is, I, I'm like a pragmatist, and I, I'm an exhorter, I'm a challenger, I'm an Enneagram 8, so you just have to be gracious with me. But my next question is, if you're desperate, can you prove it with your life? You didn't have to wonder if, if Bartimaeus was desperate, because he was on the road every single day begging for bread. He could never be accused that his life wasn't placed in a position to care for his needs because he would just go there every single day. So many times we have desperation in our heart, but our lifestyle and our actions don't match what we want. 
And so you get things like Jesus showing up in people's lives and saying, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. They're like, oh, I want to go with you, but I've got to bury somebody or I've got a meeting or I've got a business deal. People miss the kingdom because they're busy and distracted. Not usually because they're bad. It's not that they didn't want Jesus or his kingdom. They just didn't know how to make room and the desperation wasn't there yet. Wasn't there to activate the movement of faith to get near him. And I'll just tell you, the church in America needs a move of the Holy Spirit to create desperation in our hearts so that we begin to have resistance to all the things of the world that require our time, money, and heart, and we begin to break down the wall in our heart towards God's work. And I've said this before, it's amazing how quickly we commit to a sports league. So can I ask you just really, really honestly, when you get asked to play basketball for your kids, do you pray about it? Like, do you ask the Lord, say, Lord, should we play in this league? Is it worth the time, the money? Will this develop our child into the kind of person that you're calling them to be? We mostly just say, like, I don't know. Do we have time? Sure. Yeah. Are there friends on the team? Sure. But then we get asked to do things that are spiritual in nature to pursue the heart of God for a generation. And and we just get like, "Ah, let me pray, but I don't know. I'm really busy. So what God ends up getting from his people is tons of excuses and rationalizations and justifications and accusations of legalism and, ah, you're just trying to load us up with all this stuff and yet the world is loading you up constantly and you're saying yes. Every time the the, the world wants to load you with a heavy burden, you're like, will this this get my kid into college? Will this do this? And you just start saying yes. And I'm just telling you, I'm in it. And so this is like, I'm preaching to myself. It's so hard. But in my heart, my heart of hearts, and I, this is where I, we've got to be able to tap into this place. My heart of hearts, what I really want in this world, in my lifetime, is revival. It's really what I want. I want to see my friends and family who are far from God fall on their face in front of Jesus and be healed. I want to see the church made beautiful in our generation so that we would not uh, like be made fun of so that Christians would not be known for bigotry and hate and hypocrisy, but they would be like, man, if you want to get around to people who love people and serve people and sacrifice for people, that church, those people, the Christians, you've got to find the Christians in your city. If you want to see what life lived well really looks like. So here's, I just wrote this down. Lance spoke to our young guys this morning, and I, I wrote this down. I just felt like the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. Like, desperation is the fuel. Faith is the spark. Encounter is the fire. And what happens when things go in the fire? They change. They change. That's the result. And then devotion is what happens after that process that just says, I want more of that. What is that thing that just happened in my life? I want more of that. And not just for me. I want it for my friends and for my family, for my household, for my coworkers, for my school. I want people to come to know Jesus in ways that the blind see and the lame walk and the dead rise and the hope have hope and so that the church would be alive in this generation. I mean, are you your heart? Like, are you feeling like, I'm just like, Jesus, we need you. We want to be desperate for your work.
work in this generation. I want to be like blind Bartimaeus sitting by the road saying, have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on us. And I just want to tell you, I don't challenge our lifestyle to make us feel guilty. I challenge it to maybe create enough space where the Holy Spirit can get in there and speak about what's happening. So I want you to stand to your feet carefully. <laughs> Watch out for the bars. And I want you to close your eyes and just take a moment. Take a moment. Holy Spirit, right now, search our hearts and minds. Can you remember a time in your life where you were desperate for Jesus? time in your life where you were desperate for Jesus, where you literally were like, God, I will do anything you want to if you will just show up. I need you. Can you remember a time where out of that you acted in faith? You're like, I saw the slightest kernel of hope there and I just began to move toward where I believe God was. Can you remember that moment where you're just like, God, I made a move toward you. Can you remember the encounter where that movement led to a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus, the Son of God? His face turned toward you. in your life? Can you remember the result? How God moved you from death to life, from darkness to light, how God healed or delivered or saved or rescued or reconciled you. He performed miracles on your behalf. He did things that you tell other people. The only way this happened was God acted on my behalf. I could not have done this by myself. Last question. Does your devotion today match that thing that God did in you? Not did you have devotion out of it, but where is your devotion currently to God? What if, what if today you were like, God, would you burn in me fresh desperation for you? God, would you do that thing again inside of me where I was so on fire for you? I was so zealous for your word. I was so excited to share the gospel with anything that moved. <laughs> I just wanted people to be free in the same way that I was free. I wanted people to be healed in the same way I had been healed. And can you imagine, if we just focus on this little family, can you imagine what would happen if every single one of us were living desperately for Jesus? And just the ripple effect in your own life. But if you could zoom out, could you imagine in our city what would begin to happen? As we encounter people, whether they know it or not, they're crying out to Jesus for mercy. 